0: A few years ago, as a boy in school, I had to learn one of the speeches that uh, Shakespeare wrote for King Henry V, Once More Into the Breach, Dear Friends. I don't know whether any others had to learn that, but it was the final words of the king before his men went into battle. This is what I want you to think about. This is what I want you to remember. This is how I want you to fight. Last words are important. And we have uh, this morning the opportunity to think about the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he was taken up into heaven. What was it Jesus wanted his disciples to remember? What were they to say? What were they to do? They had to be his witnesses, but what was to be their message? And there are all kinds of ideas today about what the message of the disciples uh, should be today. There are people to tell it that tell us well the, the the message that we have to bring today is about the love of God that God loves us all that uh, really we're all God's people and we should reciprocate we should go to church and we should do our best to please Him that's the message. Other people say well it isn't quite like that it really is that we. Ought to be trying harder and we ought to lead better lives. There are other people that think that the gospel about the kingdom of God is uh, actually more to do with concern for the poor, about uh, justice in society. There are other people who say, no, it, it isn't that at all, it's a matter of getting saved. And to put it crudely, the way they speak, what they really mean is it's a matter of getting your ticket for heaven. Other people will say, well, it's really about uh, enjoying the prosperity that God wants you to have. God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. There are all ideas today about what this message is that comes from Jesus through his disciples. Well, if we look at what we have in front of us, we read in the first two verses that Luke says that he has recorded all that Jesus began to do and to teach, and he's talking about his gospel during his time on earth. Now he implies a change is coming, And he says, before Jesus left them, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And Luke goes on to tell us that uh, Jesus said the disciples were to be his witnesses and that they should soon receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which would give them the strength and the ability for what would be needed. So you see, he highlights two things in particular in these 40 days. The first thing is his resurrection. You notice what he says? That Jesus appeared to them, Alive, He presented himself alive after suffering by many proofs. Obviously, I think, he appeared to them more often than the records that we have in the New Testament. Many proofs, it says. He spent time with them. More than once, he ate with them. They were sure about his life. They were sure about his death. They were witnesses to all of that. It was important now that they would be absolutely confident witnesses about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. As we were hearing last week, the resurrection is an important part of the gospel. And then Luke says, apart from proving to them over and over his resurrection, he taught them, about the kingdom of God. And he doesn't appear to say any more. But fortunately, we can go back into the gospel because uh, Luke is repeating himself a little bit. And although he doesn't elaborate here, by looking at the end of Luke's gospel, we can see the kind of things that Jesus was saying. Luke 24. Do you remember that when he uh, first rose on that first Sunday evening, and he came to them and they were all frightened. He said, don't be afraid, peace be to you. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So don't be surprised, remember. And then Luke goes on he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name beginning from, to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. I don't think that happened just on that first Sunday evening. There was far too much for them to take in. How could he expand, expound the whole of the Old Testament to them in an hour or two hours? And if he had, how on earth could they remember it? No, this was the subject of his teaching over these 40 years, uh, 40 days. And uh, Luke just summarizes And during this time, these 40 days, all the teaching that they had heard from Jesus about the kingdom in its various aspects would become more real to them and would fall into place. And they began to have a new understanding. Their minds were being changed, although it took some time to work itself out in the future as we see as we read Acts. And then again... As he's already told us, Luke records in his gospel, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we, we try and just tease it out a little bit. The message about the kingdom of God was, first of all, this was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. This is something that God had been working towards in history. It is something in consequence of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. And in his name is to be preached forgiveness of sins, that is, reconciliation with God, a change of life, and allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Master. And this message was for all people in all nations to the farthest parts of the world. But we see the disciples still didn't fully understand. And at some time during the 40 days, and possibly towards the end when Perhaps they were getting a bit impatient as to know what was going to happen. They say to him, yes, but what about Israel? What about the nation of Israel? says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to restore the, the political and religious fortunes of the people? They were thinking about a political kingdom, something territorial, something national, about the reestablishment of the monarchy, the vanquishing of enemies, national prosperity, restoration of the, day, the days of uh, David and Solomon. You remember what the two going to Emmaus said, oh, we thought that he was going to be one, the one that was going to redeem Israel. And somehow or other they have not shaken off this old thought. They still had a totally Jewish nationalistic perspective. Someone has said they possibly were even wanting to know about what their administrative positions were going to be in the kingdom. Lord, what are you going to do about Israel? And it has been said there are as many errors in this question as there are words. And someone else has said this must have been a tremendous disappointment to the Lord Jesus. Remember, before he was crucified in the upper room, um, he said, now, you, you know me and you know the Father. And uh, Philip said, Lord, we, we don't... Just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, Philip... Have I been with you so long and you haven't understood? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And here it is again, a lack of understanding. They get a very stern reply. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. What God would do for the nation of Israel and when he would do it was not a matter of their concern at all. Their task was concerned with the kingdom of God as he'd been explaining it to them. That was their task. What God was going to do for this people that he had raised up, as we see in the Old Testament, that was not their business. Whatever God had in store for them was not for them or for us to know. They had an enormous task ahead of them, and they ought to get on with it. I think sometimes it's a a lesson that, that we have to learn over again that we shouldn't concern ourselves with which with what god has not revealed to us but we need to get on with what he has told us to do and uh, sometimes in our service for him we can get all tied up about various things and what is going god going to do about this or that or the other And uh, if he hasn't revealed it to us, then let's leave that and let's get on with what he has told us to do. So, after the coming of the Holy Spirit, how did the disciples go about their witnessing to the Lord Jesus? How did they preach the kingdom of God? Well, there's, of course, Peter at Pentecost on that very first day. Peter, when he stands up amidst this enormous crowd, he first of all refers to the Old Testament and its fulfillment in Jesus. Then he talks to them about the life of Jesus and how he went about and some of them would have seen him and knew him, of course. Then he speaks about the death of Jesus and he says to them, and you took him and you crucified him. And then he speaks about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he said, God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah that we have been looking for as the Jewish nation. And God has made him Lord Repent, believe on him, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And this message of the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus at the hands of Jewish leaders occurs four times in four chapters right at the beginning of Acts. This was the very heart of what they preached. And the disciples persisted in saying this and teaching this, no matter what opposition they encountered from the leaders. Peter, again, had to preach to a different kind of congregation, which we see in Acts chapter 10. He preached to a group of Gentiles, led uh, by a uh, Roman soldier, a Roman officer, They were not total pagans. They were worshippers of the true God. And uh, Peter, we won't tell the story, but Peter knows he has to go and see them. And uh, he says to this crowd, God commanded us to preach to the people and to testify, to be witnesses, that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of living and the dead. Exactly the words that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John. He says, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This crowd of Gentiles listen believingly and the Holy Spirit comes upon them just as he had on the day of Pentecost upon the Jews they're baptised. And they ask Peter to stay on a few days. They need instruction. How do they live to please this Lord in whom they've come to believe? Paul at Athens, a few chapters later in Acts, he preaches to a bunch of really pagan Gentiles. And uh, as uh, Roger reminded us last week, uh, it, Paul had been preaching about Jesus and the resurrection, Jesus and Anastasis, and they thought he was talking about two gods at first. But you see how integral the resurrection is to the gospel in these early chapters of Acts. And, uh, of course, uh, Paul, in talking about the uh, Death, the life and death of Jesus, he has to talk about that, although it's not really summarized for us in Acts 17. And then uh, he really starts at creation. And he speaks about how God created the world and he ordered everything, if perhaps men and women might feel after him and find him. But now he says, after the resurrection of Jesus, the message from God is that all people everywhere should repent because the day is coming when God will judge the world and he's given proof of this by this man whom he has raised from the dead. It's interesting. One of the, people, one of the reasons people don't like to hear about the resurrection of Jesus and don't want to believe it is that it speaks to us of judgment to come and our own resurrection to come. And you notice, both to Cornelius and here, this is part of the gospel message. So Paul says he's given proof of this. And of course he, at this point, encounters a lot of mockery and hostility and opposition and he can't go on anymore or he would have been speaking about the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Later on, talking with Governor Felix, he talks about belief in Jesus, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. This is how the disciples, the early apostles, this is how they preached about the kingdom. And we read right in the last chapter of Acts, even in the very last verse of Acts, that Paul was still (laughs) preaching about the kingdom of God. Despite all the opposition, despite his imprisonment, he was still talking about Jesus and his resurrection and faith and forgiveness and judgment to come. So then, How are we to understand the kingdom of God as it affects us? Well, the first thing, really is very obvious, that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers. It's spread through a gospel of peace, not by declarations of war. It's spread by the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms or political intrigue or revolutionary violence. If ever the church has resulted to this kind of pressure, it's wrong. The kingdom of God is not of that sort. We enter the kingdom of God by our repentance, by our turning away from our old life. We ask forgiveness in the name of Jesus. We ask for reconciliation with God. We turn away from our old selfish and God-neglecting ways and we become members of the kingdom with allegiance to our Lord Jesus Christ. We have new God-given standards of behavior, new values, new attitudes, new hopes, new ambitions, and they're all governed by the Lord Jesus. God has given to each one his Holy Spirit, and through the Spirit's work in our hearts and minds, we are changed. Often, the change at first is often quite radical and very noticeable as the person turns around and goes in another direction. But that change is meant to go on for all of us in the kingdom of God. Changing, becoming like our Lord Jesus. So the kingdom is spiritual and the kingdom is international. To all nations, said Jesus, to the ends of the earth. And before the end of the book of Acts, it's obviously very clear that the kingdom is international. And it's more obvious today when the majority of Christians are not in the West at all, but in other parts of the world. And the kingdom is gradual in its expansion It doesn't happen all at once. It may suffer violence, and uh, it did in the days of the apostles, and it is today suffering opposition and violence, but it is growing all around the world, and the kingdom will reach its fulfillment, its consummation when our Lord Jesus comes again. The kingdom has a practical outworking. God rules in hearts and lives, changing not only individuals, but he can change communities through individuals. We are meant to be salt and light. The gospel isn't connected with any one political program or ideology But nevertheless, it it does work itself out in the affairs of men. Christianity affects our communities. Just think of the history of Britain. What caused some of the early hospitals to be founded? Who did it? It was people in the service of God. Similarly, some of our early schools and best schools were founded by those who saw it as service to God. How was it the housing societies sprung up in the 19th century as people crowded into the cities in Britain? There were people who were concerned for the welfare and uh, there were housing societies set up and people saw that they were serving God in so doing. And I believe uh, there is a community project not very far from us that we are engaged in. And we believe in so doing we are serving God in his kingdom. So the kingdom works itself out in society. And the kingdom comes into collision with secular life. Sometimes with the state. Remember, Jesus said, render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's and to God the things which are God's. And in the early years of Christianity, there was tremendous pressure in the Roman Empire to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. And they would be told, you just put a pinch of incense on the altar and you say Jesus is Lord and you can go and get on with all your Christianity. And would they do that? They would not give to Caesar the loyalty and the worship due to the Lord Jesus. Their supreme loyalty was for Jesus alone. This is being tested today. Why is there trouble in China? It's because the authorities don't want groups of people that have a loyalty other than to the state. Just reading this past week, uh, in Kyrgyzstan, where the Aplis were until recently. Very similarly, the government doesn't want people having any allegiance to any person or anything other than the government and the state. And sometimes Christians have to take a stand on those issues. We need to keep clear in our minds the allegiance and loyalty which we owe to Jesus and that which we owe to the world around us. Of course, sometimes the opposition is not government from the state, it's from the community. And there are countries in the world today where Christians are suffering, not because the government is against them, but because the community is against them. And uh, we were reading, I think, yesterday morning of one situation where the the Supreme Court in Indonesia had declared that this belonged to the Christians, but the community and the local mayor wasn't going to have any of it at all. So there is this opposition to the kingdom. But the time is coming when the kingdom will be consummated. What did the angels say? this same Jesus, whom you have seen ascend into heaven, will come again in the same way. And to be a member of the kingdom of God means that we are looking for this great and glorious consummation when Jesus comes again. What a privilege it's going to be Its glory will be revealed and people will be amazed. I think even we will be amazed at the glory of the kingdom when our Lord Jesus comes. And we're told that every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow in submission to the Lord Jesus. The kingdom of God. Just let's go back for a moment to the disciples and that question. Despite the opening of their understanding in Luke and all the teaching that they had, they still needed something else. They hadn't got it quite right. And we see this as we look at the book of Acts. At first they thought the gospel was just for the Jewish people. And then perhaps the Samaritans, the half-Jews. And then God gave them a tremendous prod and told them, no, it's for Gentiles as well. They had to learn this gradually. It was the Holy Spirit that enlightened them, that brought to their minds the words of the Lord Jesus, as he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I've been saying. We too can know a great deal about Christianity. We can have a fair knowledge of some parts of the Bible and of some of the stories. We can know what books are in the Old Testament and what books are in the New Testament. We might even be able to find our way through the Old Testament prophets. But the truth of it has not really come alive for us at all. We really truth be told, come to church because of our friends or our partner. Maybe it's just a habit, it's something that we ought to do, we think, but we've never really understood what all the fuss is about. Why do we get as excited as some of us seem to do about the truth about Jesus? And why do some of the songs go on so much? We haven't really grasped. We we really see no motivation in a change of life. Perhaps you you can't really say that the truth about Jesus' life and death and resurrection has any controlling interest in your life at all. And we have to say that if God's. Truth holds no sway over our lives, over our desires, our decisions. If Jesus is not our Lord and Master, but just our ticket to heaven, then we're a bit like the disciples who didn't fully understand. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Now this is what every preacher prays for as he prepares. This is what we should pray for individually as Christians, that God would open our eyes more and more to his truth. To be in the kingdom of God is not just about being religious. It's life-changing. Ask God for it. Ask him to show you. Read his word for yourself. Jesus once told a parable, and he said the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price that a merchant found. He went and sold everything he had to get it. When you see it, grasp it, believe it, commit yourself to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. We thank you, O God our Father, for the privilege of being in the kingdom of God. We thank you that you have made this possible and we thank you again for the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the witness of the apostles, the record of the New Testament and we thank you for the story of this teaching, this gospel has come down through the centuries. Help us Heavenly Father, to take pride in the fact that the Lord Jesus is our Lord and Master and Savior and help us to live for him, giving to him and to his people the allegiance which is right. And if these things don't move us, Heavenly Father, work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit and show us the amazing truth of your word. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.